From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 276, and it is the last regular show of 2019. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Fresh Books, and Direct Mail. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. It's only irregular shows from here on out, Mike. Indeed. We have the holiday special and then the Upgradies to finish yeah. out 2019. Lucky, lucky Upgradians. Well, they'll be the judge of that. <laughs> no, they, oh, I've, I've already judged it for them, Jason. Don't you worry. We've got great, great content. Hashtag great content. Given, given that we, we haven't done any of those episodes yet, it. you're very confident. Look, you're very confidence confident. Confidence is key, right? I'm very confident. I'm confident in our ability to create entertaining and exciting special episodes for the Upgradians. Okay. Gregory right. has a hashtag Snell Talk question for you, which says, Jason, what is your favorite Star Wars action sequence? To give a, a flavor, Gregory's is the sail barge in Return of the Jedi, as it combines everything that Gregory likes about Star Wars, the characters, the action, and Jedi humor. Can you think of a favorite, other than McClunky, uh, scene, which is your uh-huh. favorite Star Wars action sequence? Well, I mean, obviously the pod racing in episode one is... Anyway, uh, the... Hey, the pod I, I don't a have a scene. It just goes on too long. I, it goes on. There's one, too, one lap too many. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I'm going to say there's a the climactic uh, space battle that is being intercut with the battle down on the planet at the end of Rogue One because it's a modern Star Wars movie mm. with um, that is trying to do a take on the kind of classic Star Wars battle sequence. And I think it's actually very, very good um, where they're, they're up in space waiting for the shield to open and they're down on the planet trying to open the shield. And uh, that's a really good sequence. I like it a lot. Um, you know, in terms of classic Star Wars, sure. I mean... Uh, Luke and Vader's uh, lightsaber battle in Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. is probably high up on the list there too. But um, you know, uh, there there are there are lots of choices. I don't know if I I have one that leaps out. But when I thought about this for a minute, the Rogue One climax seemed one. to be um, the one that I had at the top. It's a good one because it, I don't think it's one that many people would have instinctively picked. But it is a good scene. Hmm. I meant the reason I picked this this week: Star Wars week. It's a new Star Wars movie coming out. This it week. is. I know, I, I know. That's um, yeah. I got a. I, we planned our incomparable episode about it. I got a. I think I'm gonna go see it at like seven forty-five in the morning. Ooh, what day is it? <laughs> the Thursday in America is it or Friday? I think it's Friday release Thursday, but that means they do it Thursday night, right? Because I'm going Thursday afternoon because we get right. it a day early in the UK because we're very very lucky like that, and I think give very, very good tax breaks, I think is the main reason why, uh, and then all the movies are shot here, so there you go. Thank you to Gregory for the hashtag SnellTalk question. If you would like to send in a question to help start an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk. So we spoke about the Mac Pro, the potential of a Mac Pro on last week's episode. The potential came true because a couple of days later, everything was out. I mean, we knew it was coming um, because of the the email, so, yeah. but we figured it was like, you know, there'll be reviews. There were reviews. It's been lots of great uh, podcast content, but I wanted to do some mm. follow-up to episode 258 of Upgrade and 356 of ATP, where okay. we made a bet. So we're following up and out. Kind of, but it's all in the, but it's all in the past now. Okay, yes. So, but to resolve this bet, there may or may not be some spoilers for the past week's episode of ATP, so I'm going to play off the spoiler horn right now before all I right, let's do it. Okay. We, me and you had a bet on the episode of Upgrade about which ATP host would buy the Mac Pro and when. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we have answers to those questions. 
So uh, we both thought that Marco would buy both the Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR. You said within two weeks, and I said before they start arriving with people, there has, at this time of recording, been no evidence of Marco purchasing either a Mac Pro or a Pro Display XDR. Here's the thing, though. It's it's not within two weeks yet, no. so I guess I still have we a week have before time. I'm completely invalidated. Your your guess and my guess are very, very similar because I think they have started arriving with people now, right? Oh yeah, that's a good point. They have, so I'm out, right? So But if, I but you know, Marco's not gonna buy one, so I'm gonna get it wrong too. But you but still, it depends on if how much you might want you to win this bet. Uh, yeah. you said that John will buy a Mac Pro within the first three months, but not immediately, and will wait yeah. f- because you will want to wait for the bugs to be ironed out, and that John would not buy the Pro Display xdr wrong 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 turns out john syracusa is um much more irrational than i gave him credit for (laughs) Mm -hmm. i said john would not be buying a mac pro on day one which i think i was wrong about right it seems like he bought it immediately um but and we can maybe get confirmation of this but i did say that john would buy the pro display xdr which i am correct about you are absolutely correct so so far again so far again john john has proven to be uh, 10 years in the wilderness can can drive a man crazy turns out turns out <laughs> turns out i'm pleased that you did it so fast though plus it's a great episode of atp like the uh, well the reason to do it is because atp right like I, he doesn't need one at all but it, it's so baked into not just his personal brand at this point but the show's ongoing storyline that i feel like it needs to happen right like like i've said in a few this is not how it works but i've said in a few places that if if atp incorporated existed it should buy john a a mac pro because it's like it's a very important to the show that john get a mac pro but he got one so good should we do some more follow-up yeah why not we're already here so uh makes sense colin browser's back in uh, the music app it's true it's true i updated my uh catalina on my iMac Pro last week to 10.15.2. And one of the features is the return of the column browser, which I complained about over the summer with the public beta. And then I've complained about uh, at slightly shorter length when the OS shipped because I figured old man yells at cloud. You know, it was enough. I had said my piece. Apple had decided to move on. It was a feature I used all the time to create kind of arbitrary groupings and shuffles without having to build playlists and stuff like that. And other existing features didn't really work. Um, the the column br- browser is sort of the in- original iTunes interface, which is the sort of genre uh, artist and album columns, and then you can click within them in order to filter what displays in the list below. Um, on on iTunes in, in recent years and in the music app under Catalina, it's something that exists only in the songs view. Um, Stephen Hackett actually sent me a, a, a message uh, last week, and he was like, where is that? And I, I said songs view, right? Because it's like, you don't, you're like, how do I activate it? It's grayed out in most places in the songs view, which of course you're filtering the entire thing. So the name songs is not quite right, but anyway, that's where it is. And, uh, and, uh, it's great. I don't know why it went away. I really don't know why it came back. Perhaps they finally heard from people who like me were really unhappy that it went away. I don't really see why it had to go away. Um, it's off by default. You can just turn it on. But they brought it back, and I'm happy about that. And I have already, it has already changed my music listening back. There was a whole kind of kind of music listening I would do that was not playlist based that I stopped doing when I switched to Catalina because this feature went away. So I'm happy it's back. 
There have been lots of upgradings over the last week or so that have recognized what the chime is at the beginning of this podcast. So How before about our music, there is a beep. And you may have thought to yourself, that's just a beep that begins before the music. But no, it is actually the startup chime, the original startup chime from the original Macintosh. Yes. Um, and people have recognized this because on the second episode of MKBHD's series Retro Tech, um, he takes a look at the original Mac and he starts it up and you hear the beep. And it even did a thing to me where I know what it is, but I heard it and I was like, huh? Because I know <laughs> that that means the beginning of Upgrade. Uh, so there you go. And you may have heard in the, t- in the past where we've changed the sound for a little bit. Um, they are just different Mac startup sounds that we've done. Yes, we have a little library of Mac startup sounds. Occasionally we'll vary it, especially when Mike is away and I get mm-hmm. to play. I will I will sometimes vary it. Music, when Apple TV launched, sounds. we used the chord that is at the beginning of an Apple TV Plus uh, show, which mm-hmm. is itself a reference to Mac startup chimes, right? But yes, the one that starts out upgrade most weeks is is the original Mac. I t- it spent me a lot of time to get that sound, and not one person commented on it. <laughs> the yeah, Apple, I know. Apple TV, it's, it's very just, difficult. Well, yeah, but we were waiting for this moment clearly mm-hmm. uh, that we we would we would finally two hundred and seventy six episodes in blow people's minds. So that's good. The Upgradies, they're coming. Get your votes in. Upgradies dot vote. Closing date December twenty fourth. Jason. We've had over 750 nominations made by Upgradians so far. That's good. So over 750, which is, that's more than last year. We could do better. We could do better. And just keep in mind, for those who have not submitted yet, every submission you do makes Mike work harder. So please submit. Or at least makes the spreadsheet work harder. But but yes, mm. uh, Upgradies.com, you can see previous winners. But Upgradies.vote is where you will go. To cast your votes, you don't have to vote in every category. None yeah, of them are, are, are required, so you can just send in the votes that you want. Uh, but please be a part of it because you can help with our award ceremony. I have some varied upstream news this week. It's like a few different things. They fall into okay. the overall kind of sphere that All I right. think upstream covers. One of them is just I find a little oddity. This is interesting to me. Netflix are creating a new limited series that retells the story creation and kind of ascension of Spotify. <laughs> okay but it's i don't believe that spotify are involved in this netflix have bought the rights to a book called spotify untold all right okay so it's it's more of a uh uh social network kind of it's like a biopic what I would about, a, about a company mm-hmm. and the rise of that company i guess i that is what i guess they're going to be doing right like when i when i read the story i was like oh okay it's going to be like one of those biopics because originally i was like that's strange. Like, is it a documentary? But it's not. It's like a fictional retelling kind of thing, if you know what I mean. Like a fictionalized retelling of actual events. So it's, that's coming at some point, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Uh, Apple have renewed the anthology show Little America. So this is the show created by Kumar Nanjiani, Emily V. Gordon, Lee Eisenberg, and Alan Yang. Uh, this is the kind of American, like the average American stories right like from people of, uh, like i think it's isn't it immigrant stories yes that's it you're correct of, of immigrants but like you know but like it's an anthology series mm-hmm. and and they ordered eight of them and they and you're saying to yourself well wait a second how how is it that they've been renewed when they haven't did i miss it is it on it's like no it's not Mm-mm. um it's not it actually isn't coming back or coming out until january 17th they're apparently dropping all of them which yep I think it's fine for an anthology series, right? Because there's no ongoing storyline you want to sort of let people pick and choose. I think that's the the right way to do it, and that's different from what they've been doing. Um, but um, as we've said before, 
because some other shows have been picked up. Um, you know, the morning show was bought for two years, so it didn't get picked up. But like For All Mankind is a good example of this where it got picked up for a second season before it had premiered. Um, a lot of times what this is, is this stuff got put into production so early. Um, my um, impression is that at some point you have to you have to contractually choose to renew it and keep the uh, in this case the producers um from moving on to other things yeah. by picking up their contract and, and also the stars think, too i guess yeah yeah mm. except here there are no stars right because this is a yes. an anthology series yes. but um the same idea that apple tv plus took so long to gestate that they have these uh I, I think this is what's going on. I don't know for sure, but they have these make or break dates in their contracts and uh, they got to say yes or no. And they've seen them obviously at Apple um, and uh, probably like them and decided that they're going to place the bet that they want more of it. Even if, you know, they're taking the risk because nobody's actually seen them on the outside that they like it enough because it's either this or they walk away from the project. Uh, so yeah, Apple will be dropping all eight episodes at once, and then they've renewed for more uh, to go on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is just related to that. Um, Apple TV Plus. We should mention uh, their first round of shows that we spent two years talking about um, are wrapping up. C had an eight episode season. It's done. They dropped the last episode a week and a half ago. The Morning Show and For All Mankind, I believe, dropped their ser- their season finales on Friday. And we've seen that there's that uh, M. Night Shyamalan-produced show Servant that launched on Thanksgiving. Um, and Truth Be Told. And Truth Be Told, which is the the podcast true crime uh-huh. uh, show, yeah. has launched. So we're in an interesting place now where the launch shows are, are going away and, and we're having to start to see Apple's rollout of other content on the service. So yeah. um, this, is, this uh, Little America is going to be one of those. But that's something I think we should keep our eyes on because there's the big splash launch right but then there's then they're up and running and mm-hmm. they gotta they gotta keep it rolling right so what what's the rollout gonna look like and are they gonna drop things in batches or there's a, is it gonna be something new every week um gonna be interesting to see how they how they do it and um uh, you know, we, we don't know for sure how they're going to roll it out. So that's something to watch because we're kind of at the end of the launch of Apple TV Plus right now. Yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting thing where it's like, all right, so you started off with three shows and they ran for about the same amount of time. I was interested in two of them. Now those shows are over and there's another two that are going week by week. And I'm only kind of interested in one of them. So right. then what if by the time those shows are over, I'm interested in none? For it's two a good or question. three months. For right? me, we are we. There have been so many different shows on that we've been watching for all mankind week by week. But we've been watching the morning show very slowly because mm-hmm. other shows get in the way of it. The Mandalorian and Watchmen and The Expanse and there's like other shows that have gotten in the way of it. So we're only on episode four. I want to say of the morning show. So we got a lot more of that to to go. So I'll go back to that as some of these other shows wrap. And, um, but yeah, I think this is the ongoing question. And if you bought, you know, if you get it free for a year, it's, it, you're giving them a huge grace period, right? If you bought an Apple product and you get it free for a year, but in the long run, it's a month to month thing where Apple mm-hmm. TV plus like any subscription service has to prove itself month to month. And if you, at the end of the month are like, you know, this happened to me with Hulu not too long ago, where I had that moment where I thought, have I watched anything on Hulu? in the last month or two and I've been paying for it. That's not what you want if you're a streaming service, right? That's not what you want. No, 
and, and again, as you say, first year is free, which is fine. Um, but I, you don't want me to forget that it exists. For sure. And if I've not got shows that I'm going back for every week, I might do. No, that first year is really crucial because mm-hmm. you want to get to the end of the first year and get that little email that says, hey, uh, you were about to charge your card for Apple TV Plus for a month um, because your year is up. You want to be like, uh, oh, no, I, I can't miss the rest of season two of For All Mankind or whatever it is. Like, I can't. I, I've I've enjoyed this too much. It has too much value. I want to keep it. That's This year is their way to prove that. And uh, they get a little bit of time to sort of do a shakedown cruise here. But by the time we get to the end of the year... It needs to have proven its value to that initial um, annual subscriber base that they mm-hmm. that they speculated, you know, and basically what would Tim call it a gift? <laughs> they gave yeah. a gift to everybody, but like the gift now they need to prove themselves. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's fascinating to watch. I think I think this will be really interesting to see how they uh, how they make this happen because this is part of the the execution part, right? Like we we spent two years talking about how they were buying a a really nice bicycle and putting a lot of cool, fancy parts on it, but they hadn't ridden it yet. (laughs) And now it's like, okay, then we watch them get on the bike and start to ride it. Go with me here. Um, But now it's like, well, now they need to ride the bike to a destination. (laughs) And like, how's that going to go? We don't know. (laughs) That's interesting. So um, I'm happy that they are moving and we'll see where the bike goes. And Apple News is going to be hosting an American presidential debate. Uh, This was announced by the Democratic Mm. National Committee that Apple News will be partnering with ABC and Mm. WMUR-TV to host the 8th Democratic debate on February the 7th. This is part of an election coverage content alliance between Apple and ABC. Oh, you know, it's not new in the sense that a bunch of other online kind of news services have been a part of the presidential debate mix, but it is kind of funny that it's Apple News, right? Like mm-hmm. they, it's it's weird. You know, insert your own Apple News joke here, but um, I, I, it's not surprising on one level, but it is a little bit strange that because uh, especially because we don't think of Apple News as an entity, like a news entity. It's like a, a conduit for other news entities, but. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a nice advertisement for Apple News. It's weird. Yep. They're going to show it in Apple News. It's like this funny thing. So that will be video content in Apple News. Then they have like music oh, be perfect. content. There'll and... be like a link for a debate and you'll be like, oh, I want to read this debate on the web. And then it'll hijack your link and take you into Apple News. That's, that's fitting. Yeah. Zing. Boom. Burned. This episode is brought to you by Direct Mail. Our friends over at Direct Mail, the easy to use email marketing app designed exclusively for the Macintosh platform, to help you send and create great-looking email newsletters. Email marketing is still an incredibly cost-effective way to reach your customers and grow your business. And for the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted the Direct Mail app to handle all of their email marketing needs. It is designed just for the Mac, which means it's fast, it's easy to use, it looks great as well, and will also work fantastically with the other apps and services you are already using to get your work done. You can have email campaigns sent automatically without you lifting a finger, get in-depth campaign reports to show you who's reading, clicking, and sharing your newsletters, and you can save time by integrating with over 1,000 services that you're used to from the Mac, the web, and more. They have real human live chat customer support available to answer your questions, and Direct Mail is the number one top-rated email marketing app for the Mac with five-star reviews everywhere. Go on GetApp, App Store, Elsewhere, they people love 
this application. It is trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and Fortune 500 companies alike. Direct Mail is free to download and get started, and listeners of this show can get 10% off all of their full feature pricing plans. Go to directmailmac.com slash upgrade to check it out. That is directmailmac.com slash upgrade to get 10% off when you opt for a full feature plan. Our thanks to Direct Mail for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I know that it's been about a week now since the since the uh, Mac Pro has been available, but let's talk a little bit about some of the aftermath, if you will. Sure. Uh, you were on the talk show with John Gruber, and so there's a lot of like initial thoughts and impressions there. If people want to go listen to that episode, it's two two and a half hours long, folks. So there's lots and lots of initial <laughs> thoughts and impressions. We, over there. we also talk about Perl and movable type and emoji and uh, sounds about right yeah, for you lots, too. Lots sounds we're on brand. No, no keyboard very little keyboard talk and no baseball talk i'll just say that so two and a half hours yeah i would just like to uh on the show thank john gruber for his kind words about upgrade it was very nice of him to say yes so thank you very nice um i have an answer to my question about where the mac Mm -hmm. pro is made if it's not an american product so this has happened in a couple of ways. This morning, senior editor of French Apple magazine Mac Generation, uh, who's Anthony Nelson Santos, uh, they wrote in to us to say that they had heard from their readers that Mac Pros that they were starting to receive in Europe were being shipped directly from China and were stating that they were made in China, like assembled in China. I'd also heard this. It corroborates something that I'd heard. Uh, Mac Generation wrote this up on their website, but it's all in French. So Mac Rumors uh, did a translation of this. I'll include both in the show notes, depending on if, if you know French or not. Uh, go to Mac Generation, I guess. Um, but you can see it. It says, on the Mac Pro, hardware itself assembled in China. Why is this important? Because it proves a point that I think is important to prove that the whole Donald Trump, Tim Cook thing is as much of a dog and pony show as I expected it was, because the, the Mac Pro itself is not assembled in China. It is not this American product. They are assembled in China if you've ordered it in America. It does not mean that the Mac Pro as a computer is manufactured or assembled there in the same way that like iPhones are assembled in China. iPhones are assembled in China because that's where they're made, right? And they're shipped all over the world. The Mac Pro is only being assembled in America as a political stunt. Right, the idea of the Mac Pro being an American product made in America, it doesn't mean anything. Well, there there are lots of different reasons to make computers in different places, and some of them are for politics, and some of them are for tax purposes. I mean, we we talked about how in I think in Brazil and in India, Apple Mm -hmm. has experimented with making at least iPhones and maybe other products uh, in the local, uh, assembling them there so that they can avoid uh, certain kinds of tariffs and taxes. In the same way that we mentioned that some build-to-order products like my iMac Pro was assembled in Ireland, right? Like, there are reasons to do it. Right, which these are not, which I think is an interesting quirk, right? Like, that, that the... It was possible, at least, that European I, uh, Mac Pros could have been made in Ireland, but they're they're not. They're, they're well, not. this is just what I'm wondering, though. So the ones that are arriving, I don't know. Are these just base models? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Right? Are they? Do they get configured in Ireland? If you do that, I mean, there's more. There's a lot of complexity to the supply chain here. Also, I I suppose you could say that when you say uh, for political reasons, like 
avoiding taxes and tariffs are in some ways connected to political reasons, like that if you don't make yes. a big show about you're assembling this product in the United States, that you'll get tariffed and taxed. And mm-hmm. if you do, then you won't. Um, even so, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, this is, the, this is that other data point. This is not a product that is being uh, made in the USA for the world. It's being made in the USA for the USA. It is a... It it's not symbolic because it's real, but it is a gesture. It is a tactical move to look good for the uh, U.S. government. I mean, the thing that that bothers me is that we'll just allow the U.S. president to just say whatever he wants about it, right? Like, that's the thing that frustrates me. Apple didn't say, we are proud that we are making the Mac Pro in America for American customers. Like, I don't yep. believe they've said that. Like, they they just let it be assumed, if you want to assume, that the whole product line is being made there, but uh, or assembled there, but it's not. Now, the parts are presumably the same, right? Mm-hmm. Which means yep. that it's still that mixture of parts that are sourced from all sorts of places, including in the United States. But... As we've talked about on past shows, um, even with that, it's going to be way cheaper to assemble those things in China and then ship them around the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're doing outside of, you know, the U.S. or maybe outside of North America or there may be other regions that we discover are getting the American sourced products. It may not just be the U.S. Canada might get the American products, right? Mexico might even get them. But um, beyond that... It looks like everything else is in, in China. And that's uh, that's what we suspected, but now yep. we know. It was just important to me to close mm-hmm. the loop because it was a yep. thing that I cared about and we have now. And I'm I'm pleased that, my, that our hypothesis was correct, right? That they were not, if you were buying one in Germany, it was not coming from Austin, Texas because that would have been wild. So we know the pricing configurations. We know how expensive this computer can get. This is exactly the amount of money I thought it was going to go to, right? Like 50 grand, right? Like it just seemed like, of yeah. course. I don't know how you feel about it, but like, you know, I've seen there's this, rightly so, I think, for how symbolic this product is and how important it is. There is a lot of hand-wringing about pricing and who this is for and who it's not for. For sure. I think that it's a, I consider it very positive that you can spec this machine the way that you can because it means that this is finally a Mac, which like for nearly 10 years, right? We have not had the ability to create a Mac to go to wild purposes, right? Mm -hmm. That like you could spec a Mac with internals that could be used in a vast, vast variety of use cases. And 1.5 terabytes of RAM is a very extreme use case, but you can Mm -hmm. do it now. And I think that that is great because... If what you're looking for is an idea that Apple has commitment to the Macintosh, this is it. Because there is, for most business reasons, zero purpose to sell that machine, right? Like, right. I was I was wondering, like, how many machines are they going to have to make to, like, recoup their R&D costs for this? Considering this was a product that they were never going to make in the first place. Right. Right. And I just think about the amount of money that, because if you think about it, right, the iMac Pro 
doesn't need to exist in theory if the Mac Pro was always going to be made. The iMac Pro exists because they were getting rid of the Mac Pro. Exactly. Right? We, and we know that, that that there have been reports about that, that the iMac Pro was a project that was that was made because they were killing the Mac Pro and then they, they decided not to kill the Mac Pro. And that there's an open question there about updating the iMac Pro, a product that I really love, by the way, that we'll see. Like, will they do that? <laughs> or was did is this the only iMac Pro that will ever exist because... They went in a different direction. I don't know. So then if you imagine if somebody's trying to work out like what was the overall cost of this product, let's just imagine, for example, that you took the iMac Pro into consideration, right? So like the amount of money it cost to create and research and develop that product, the amount of money it's taken for the Mac Pro, and then the whole thing together. People don't give that enough credit, right? Like people think about the cost of the parts and all that, but it's so harder to, so much harder to think like this is time. Uh, spent by Apple designers, uh, Apple hardware engineers to build this thing. It's time being diverted from other things. There's an opportunity cost here too, because it's a it's a computer that's being designed instead of a different computer that could be designed. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there also the benefits are broader. Like you know, having uh, making a gesture to high end uh, filmmaking uh, potentially means that Apple stays in the good graces of. Uh, some high-end workflows in an industry that they are more they care way more about than they ever have before for various reasons and you end up with uh not just selling iMac Pros but you sell those monitors and you sell MacBook Pros and you um I I think it also can't be discounted I mentioned this on the talk show that uh there's also a you know, good feeling like an identity thing to say, mm-hmm. look at us, look at how uh, we brush up against the fancy, um, you know, Hollywood folks and that that makes us look good, that we're, that they, you know, we can make this and that they can use it, even if it, you know, doesn't have a direct dollar benefit that that it's it's worth doing. But it's very clear from the base price of this thing that like the conception all along was w- that Apple wants to build something that can reach the stratosphere. And um, as a result, like, because if, if this was, if this started at $2,000, there would, there were, could not be some of the stuff that's in it that is in it because they wanted to build it with the, at this very, you know, thing that could scale way, way, way up. And as a result, the floor is way higher than I think a lot of people would like it to be. You mentioned a a very key word there, which was identity. I think that this Mac Pro is in the identity of many people, right? Like you were mentioning it in the idea of Apple's identity, who they want to be to the world, right? And they want to be, continue to be as they have been for such a long time, the place that creative professionals go to. And the Mac Pro serve, like, serves a lot of high-end creative professionals. But there are lots of people whose identity as computer users is tied up in Apple and a Tower Mac. Yep. Yeah, right? including the group that we would say Apple itself has identified as its largest group of pro users, which are developers. Yes. A lot of developers are very technical people, and they love computers. That's why they're developers. And they don't like the idea of using a system that is enclosed, that is a consumer, that works really well for consumers, but they're like, but I want to tinker, I want it open, I'm a more technical person. And these are the kind of people who have been buying towers from Apple for years. You know, they had a a Mac Pro cheese grater, or they had a, 
you know, a, a Power Mac G5. Maybe they they skipped past the the trash can Mac, but they would like to have um, to have a tower. And the fact is that this is a at its base model, this is overkill for them. And it's Apple. Apple's take on this is very clear, which is if you don't need the power of the base model Mac Pro, um, you don't need a Mac Pro. Like that's the the power is the differentiator here. And below this, you should just get an iMac Pro or an iMac or a Mac Mini or a MacBook Pro and not this. And the problem is that there's some people for whom it's not about the the power of it. It's that it's a an you know, it's a box. It's an open box that they can they can swap out the storage and they can swap out the memory and they can put in cards and they can do all of these things. Um, and they want to do that and they want, uh, they don't want to spend $6,000 for the, on an overkill machine in order to do it. So I'll ask you, do you think that this configuration, this starting price, this like $5,000 machine, should this be the only pro focused desktop option that's not an iMac? So, yeah, you know, I, I I can't win with this answer. Um, Nobody can. I I feel I feel for the people who want Apple to make a Mac that uh that is that fits them right, and I feel for the people who are especially developers, but people who, you know, we talk about pro machines, and there was a, a post that I po- I linked to on uh, Six Colors uh, from Martin Pilkington that I think I think explains the argument very clearly, and um. You know, in the end, what he says is, is the Mac Pro Pro machine undoubtedly, there's no reason why anyone who is not a professional user should even consider buying one, but is it a machine for pro users for the vast majority of us out there because he places himself in that group? The answer is no. The answer is, unfortunately, he says no. And that's, I think that's exactly right. Like the, the issue here is that there are a bunch of people who view themselves as pro users who are upset that the Mac Pro isn't for them. I would argue that it's apple apple makes a line of pro products and apple doesn't believe that the mac pro is for all pros nor should it be and they've made those decisions i think uh the the arguments i've seen including martin pilkington's blog which says it very well uh, is that there are a lot of pros who want a tower from apple and apple has essentially said "Mm -mm, no you should get something else you should get a laptop you should get an imac you should get a mac mini but uh this thing is not for you now i if i have um strong feelings about this it is that i don't believe and i think this has been true for a long time i don't believe most people who feel that they need an expansion full computer so that they can swap out parts and plug in cards and do all of those things i don't believe that most of them actually need it i think they want it i think it makes them comfortable i think it's familiar there is a has been a fallacy in computers for a very long time that people want to buy the the upgradable computer whatever the upgrades are because it makes them feel safe it it's like insurance it's future proofing in a way and i think if you look at and i know apple had research about this back in the day um, you look at how people use those computers, they never upgraded them. Like they never did. They never did. And it's not to say that nobody did, but almost nobody did. And there's a famous 
maybe apocryphal, I don't know, story about Apple at some point realizing that they could dramatically reduce the number of slots in their tower in their, or in their Macs that had openable, openable boxes with slots in them because they realized that although people said they wanted six slots, nobody ever used more than two slots or three slots. Um, and th- th- it gets overstated is what I'm saying. Um, I think in general, like, I like Macs. I would like Macs to have remo- uh, user uh, removable and installable storage and RAM, let's say. Like, and, and Apple doesn't do that. Apple doesn't do that for some good reasons, which is they engineer without that and their devices can be um, thinner and lighter and nicer in all sorts of different ways. But I think there's an argument to be made there. Um, but clearly that's not what Apple believes. Um, and, and, and my sympathy for Apple is at least exists in part because I do think that a lot of it is um, more about an emotional desire to have control over your computer that is understandable but not necessarily logical or not necessarily something that actually gets put into practice. So, you know, would it be great if Apple made a mid-range mini tower for people who are developers and not high-end video pros? Yes, of course. And that's been true since 2007 when we were running op-eds at Macworld by Dan Frakes and Rob Griffiths about this very issue, right? Like, it's been true for more than a decade that Apple has been... Back in the day, it was like, how about a $1,000 tower? Now it's like, we'll we'll pay 3000 for a tower. Please give us a tower that's not six grand. So I get all of that. I But I also understand Apple saying, look, we want to hit the high end here with this product. And we've got... Our products below it are so powerful already. And with Thunderbolt 3, they're so expandable that we just are not going to make another product and we're not going to hurt this product by bringing it down in in, in a scale because every product has a cost. Every new product has a cost. So, you know, I understand the desire for it. I have some skepticism that that would be a popular product and I have a great deal of skepticism that that product would not just cannibalize sales of other Apple products, which while not the problem of the consumers buying the computer is a problem for Apple because, you know, if you go to Apple and say, well, okay, we, we're going to make a, a $2,000 or $2,500 tower that is kind of like the Mac Pro, but way, way cheaper and, and doesn't have the high end performance, but we're going to roll that out. And then I'm a bean counter at Apple and I say, okay, what's the net increase in sales? And the answer is, well, no, actually we're going to lose sales. It, it net increases nothing. Um, or almost nothing. We'll lose some sales of Mac Pros from people who are so desperate for a tower that they'd buy a Mac Pro. So we'll lose the, those higher margin sales. Um, and we'll lose some iMac sales and some iMac Pro sales and some Mac Mini sales. And maybe we'll have to kill the iMac Pro in order to do this. And and uh, and I could see somebody at Apple being like, that doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Why would we spend time making a product that is... And it's still going to be a niche product, right? It's still mostly not going to sell uh, like all these other Pro products that mm-hmm. are especially desktops. It's like, yeah, that's true. So you can see why they would say no. Doesn't make it hurt any less if you're somebody who really wants that product and is frustrated that Apple won't give it to you. Do you have any desire for the Mac Pro? Like, forget cost for a minute. Because I, I would love one, right? I look at it and I'm like, that's super cool, right? And the more videos I've seen on it, the more I've heard about it. Like, that's a cool computer. Like, if you remember, I was waiting to see what my option would be. And the Mac Pro priced, like the base configuration, like priced me out and I bought the iMac Pro, right? Because it's just like, I don't 
want to spend that amount of money for what will be a machine that will be lacking in the areas that I need storage RAM, right? That, that I could get what I actually need storage RAM processor and basic power cheaper than I can on the Mac Pro, which is what I did, right? Because it's not even in a monitor too, which I didn't have, right? So like the, the price mm-hmm. goes up and up and up. But in a world where I could get or could have gotten the Mac Pro and a monitor, a nice Apple monitor, right, that matches in some way, for around the price of the iMac Pro, I would have gone with the Mac Pro because it, I think it looks cooler than mm-hmm. the iMac Pro because it's a new design, right, where, like, yes, my iMac Pro is space gray, but I have had three computers over the last, like, nine years that look just like this one. Sure. So I, I am allured by it in that way. Are you? Do I appreciate the idea of a shiny new Mac like this? Absolutely. And I used to have a five, uh, a G5. I had a G4. I had a G3. Like I had a whole, and I had a, a power computing clone before that. I had four time, four years, or not four years, four computers in a row that my desktop computer was a, a, a pro tower. So I get the appeal. I also kind of feel like I never really took advantage of the Pro Tower, and I kind of really love the idea that I've got my whole computer in this giant monitor that's floating above my desk mm-hmm. on an arm, mm-hmm. and I don't have like a box on my floor somewhere that's the real computer. Wheels, Jason, the wheels. Mm. You can just move it around like you why, can the Vixer arm, you know? Great. You just move it around. So, so the new shiny appeals to me. Yeah. The fact that there's no Apple monitor that is suitable because the Pro Display XDR is just a non-starter. It's a waste of money to buy that if you are not a high-end color video whatever professional. It's mm-hmm. a waste of money. And if you want to get it because it's pretty and great, but you are wasting your money, uh, again, if it makes you feel happy, great. But like, I'm never going to buy that monitor. I buy the LG monitor. It's okay. Um it's not any better than what I've got because I think it's the same panel as on the the iMac Pro. So in the end, am I tempted only by the fact that it's new and shiny and, and neat? Um, and, you know, could I use more cores for some of the, the audio stuff that I do? Probably. Um, but first off, I wouldn't be tempted right now anyway because I have a two-year-old iMac Pro that is great. Yep. Uh, in a few years, though, would I be tempted by a, a Mac Pro? Probably not, but uh, never say never. You know, I would need to buy a, a monitor and the computer and upgrade the storage and all of these things. Like, And it's going to be a, a big ticket item. And the fact is, my iMac Pro base model is more money than I've ever spent on a computer before. And it's, it, it, with the exception of the audio stuff, it's more computer than I need already. So I think the answer is... Um, no, as cool as it is, um, I I would never buy one. Well, you mentioned about like the next time you need a computer. For all you know, the iMac Pro might not be an option anymore. It's true. It's true. If the next time I need a, need a computer, if we're still in an Intel world, or if if we're still in a partial Intel world where I need to have an Intel system to run, you know, we don't know. That's the other thing is we've got this transition coming up. But that's true. Like. At that point, though, I would hope that if they don't do another iMac Pro, that they maybe take the lessons learned from the iMac Pro and put that in an iMac so that we have a better 
better, quieter fans iMac, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we will have another iMac Pro in after this design that we're currently in. So what I mean, whenever sure. Apple revise the iMac in a significant way, so like they change its design, right? Like as well as internals. I think that they will just have lots of, you know, they will have a really powerful version that you can get, but it probably won't be the iMac Pro. Well, there's two paths forward for the iMacs, right? There's a, there's a path forward where um, the iMac Pro kind of continues. Well, maybe there's more than two paths, but I, I keep thinking of it this way. The iMac Pro is a rethought version of the iMac with no spinning drive internals, right? So you could look at the iMac Pro design and say, in the end, the iMac Pro design is an iMac design, a future iMac design, and they will drop the spinning drives. Uh, maybe in the, you know, maybe it's just in the 27-inch, the, the 5K version. Maybe that version is the basis, and th- this design is the basis for future iMacs. And maybe because of the existence of the Mac Pro, there isn't an iMac Pro per se. There's just an iMac. Maybe there's a 6K iMac, which is bigger yeah. and more powerful. But with the cooling that's in the Mac Pro and no longer supporting spinning disks, and but but using the desktop or or laptop class of chips, the the core Intel Core chips instead of the Xeons, mm-hmm. and it's so it's got the power because the power of the iMac already is up against the bottom of the. It's like the fastest iMac you can buy is faster than the base model iMac Pro already um, for most uses, I believe. Um, so you could do that and just sort of the iMac Pro kind of quietly goes away, but a lot of its legacy lives on in the in the iMac line. But there's another fork here, which is uh, is ARM, which is if Apple does an ARM transition, would it take its consumer desktop essentially and turn it into a an ARM computer that is like doesn't need as much cooling and is thinner and lighter again and just because it's cool that they can put it on a you know thinner or lighter stand i don't even know where they would go with an arm imac but they could go down that path <laughs> and then just pro means old at that point right they keep the pro around for the old chips i think there is a strong we've talked about this i think i think there's a strong argument to be made that if apple makes a, an arm transition that when it starts at least the code is that the word pro means intel i think that makes a lot of sense so like so that's that's a, a, an open question there and then at, for me as somebody who's doing this high-end audio work and i've got uh, a desktop computer that i use that is a good question in two years three years what do i buy and is that a, uh, an imac or is that not an option for me do i buy a mac mini uh or is that not good enough for me um and and is the Mac Pro the only option there? The, the challenge, I, I my guess is it it can't be because Apple has done this where they've said, you know, we're not going to even start this until we get up to $6,000, that they, they have to make solutions for pros that are below $6,000. And maybe it's the MacBook Pro and it's a, it's a high-end iMac. I don't know. I don't know. It's a challenge. But they don't, by, by making the choice of starting at $6,000, they don't have that release valve to say, Oh well, you just buy a, a tower for two or three three grand, and then get on with your day. They, uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But there's a lot more going on here, and there's a lot more to talk about. I want to come back to the uh, iMac Pro, but before we do, uh, let me thank our friends over at FreshBooks for the support of this show. If you ever send out invoices, track expenses, or if you ever need to get paid online, FreshBooks is the answer for you. If you're using anything else, I'm telling you, it will be quicker. 
if you use FreshBooks. They've drastically reduced the time it takes for their over 10 million people to deal with paperwork. And this isn't just the creation of the paperwork. So FreshBooks' system for creating invoices is really speedy and simple because it does a bunch, you can save a bunch of information in it, which means you can get things filled out in just a couple of key strokes. It's very, very simple. So it's nice and easy to do. But it's also saving you time in processing and chasing in administration later on. So every time you log into FreshBooks, their notification center, it's like your personal assistant. It'll let you know what's changed in your business since you last logged in, helping you with what needs to be dealt with. And then once you send your invoices out, everything will be tracked. So you don't need to know or to have to call or send an iMessage or a carrier pigeon to the person that you sent the invoice to to make sure that they got it because FreshBooks will tell you. FreshBooks will tell you it's been sent, when it's been opened, when it's been opened again, when it's been printed. You can see all of that because when your client will just click a link and it opens up to the FreshBooks page where they see your invoice and can do what they need to do. They can even pay it right there from the webpage. FreshBooks will also automate late payment email reminders for you if you want them to. So you can say yes, Please do this and you can set the interval that you want people to be reminded so you don't have to spend any time chasing payments because FreshBooks does it all for you. These are just some of the many ways that FreshBooks can save you time in your accounting life. If you're listening to this show and not yet using FreshBooks, now's the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show, no credit card needed. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade. And when they say, hey, how did you hear about us? Say, on Upgrade. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so talking about the iMac Pro, one little piece of information which has been interesting, you know, brought the iMac Pro up again even more over the last few days, is the Pro Display XDR um, on the technical specs page. It lists all of the devices that are uh, supported with the Pro Display XDR. Uh, including all the MacBook Pros and all that kind of stuff, but one of the um, one of the very clear omissions on this page is the iMac Pro. The iMac Pro is not listed as being able to actually drive the Pro Display XDR. So this is interesting, right? And there's been a lot of thought that maybe there's something to do with the chips, right? That they haven't been able to update the graphics or whatever it is. So always the chips. Always the chips. Those darn chips. Those bags of sand inside of the computers messing up everything for us. But there's a slight wrinkle in this, but I can understand what's happening. So uh, this was confirmed by video editor Thomas Grove Carter, who was on the most recent episode of Mac Power Users. Thomas has had a Mac Pro for a few weeks, um, or at least a period of time, before it became available. Uh, Apple gave one to Thomas to test out and to give feedback on. The Pro Display XDR does work with the iMac Pro, but in 5K, not 6K. Apple doesn't state this anywhere. I guess it's for, for good reason in that it's not fully supported. You're not actually getting everything you're paying for. But it's interesting, right? That it's like it is a it is a thing that will work, but they don't want to tell you that's the case because I guess you're not going to get everything out of it that you should be. Yeah, I mean, it. it's weird because it, yeah, I, I, you could probably, it's better for a tech note, right? Saying that it'll drive it, but it won't drive it at the full resolution. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's it's a two-year-old computer and it's using an older chipset. And what it tells me is that they really ought to update the iMac Pro. But as you and I just discussed, that's a, that's a good question. Like, I hope they do. And this came up on ATP last week because we, we have the secret society of iMac Pro users now. And it's like, I hope they do an update to the iMac Pro because it's great. 
And I hope that if they don't update the iMac Pro, it's because they have a bigger plan on updating the iMac to make it much more iMac Pro-like. Yep. But in the short term, if that's going to take a while, like I hope that they could do an update and put new a new chipset in it and just and support that external monitor and just keep it rolling down the road because um because if I like Marco on ATP if my iMac Pro died tomorrow I would get a new iMac Pro. I just would be very sad if it was literally the same one that I had bought 2 years ago without any improvements, yeah. but I would. I would. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I Fine, uh, you know. Uh, oh, it is worth noting, of course, that you can put a Blackmagic eGPU in the middle, and it will work. And it will work, right? So if you, if you're, I mean, honestly, if you're buying a six thousand dollar monitor, then why not just buy an, an expensive eGPU, and like that'll get solved. Problem solved. How much is the Blackmagic eGPU? So uh, five hundred ninety nine pounds for the regular one. Ah, it's a bargain. Pounds for the. I mean, honestly, at that point, <laughs> why not? Right, you've gone that far. Yeah. Um, so it is compatible. It's just it's less than the stand. I I will say though, of everything, I like um I most lust for the monitor. I just think it's super cool. There's like a lot more coolness to it. It is super cool. Um. A lot of people have said they're going to test it. I haven't seen any uh, any results yet of if it will work in any way with the iPad Pro. Just like purely out of interest, right? Like, um, yeah. but I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I expect no too. But I want to see somebody plug it in and see what happens. I like, think it's a Thunderbolt. I think it's a Thunderbolt three display. And it so is. the answer is no. Mm -hmm. But hey, I still want to see someone try. Um, so overall, Jason, with where we are right now. Do you think that there's any takeaways Apple should have, like anything that they should have learned from this whole experience, like that people maybe want more choice? Should they get that choice? Or do you think Apple's doing the right thing already with the way that they've rolled these products out? Well, they change stream, right? We don't know what Apple's end state is for this stuff, right? Because as we said earlier, the, Mac, the iMac Pro is, was conceived as a replacement for the Mac Pro. They were going to kill the Mac Pro, and the iMac Pro, Pro was the replacement. And then there was obviously an argument internally. My guess is that the Pro uh, workflow group was uh, was uh, formed around this point, and that this was part of it. But there was this, this strong argument that Apple was, uh, or they heard from customers, perhaps in the video industry, like, an iMac is not going to do it for us, right? Like, we can't just use an iMac. And they changed direction, and they made the Mac Pro. But... That opens up the door of like, well, what is the strategy with the iMac Pro? Is that an existing product? Like, what is the strategy? Like, they upgraded the Mac Mini, and it's pretty powerful, but again, it's this tiny little thing. You and I joked, and they're actually, somebody is kickstartering this, joked that what you really need is just a uh, a Mac Mini in an enclosure with uh, Thunderbolt 3 attached to it and some slots. And you just say, no, no, it is a mini tower, even though it's <laughs> literally Mac about. Mini Don't open it. tower. <laughs> don't, don't look in look that black box. That part, <laughs> that part is a, just a Mac Mini. Don't, don't go there. Um, so, you know, here's the question. Like, what, uh, what does Apple want the end state of their Pro Mac desktop line to be? Keep in mind, desktops, it's a quarter maybe of their business and most of that is the iMac mm -hmm. so pro desktops is a sliver of a fraction of a minute shade of a like it's a tiny thing and it's important in our as a symbol 
like I said last week, it's important to our uh, concerns about Apple's commitment to the Mac. But Apple, it's not going to get a lot of attention from Apple in the long run. And and I would say that among the people who are upset about the Mac Pro, like that it makes it seem their feelings are real, but it makes it seem more prevalent than it actually is. Because the truth is that most of the stuff that we're talking about here, most people who buy Macs don't care about, right? We are we're talking about a very specific set of of users right but couldn't it be argued that that those same set of users the discontent that they felt about the trash can and about other professional macs is the whole reason this mac pro exists anyway like the round table thing happening and all that stuff it's how you define it right like this is was was that all was that all about uh developers and three thousand dollar towers obviously apple doesn't think so because they didn't make that computer Mm -hmm. uh if you're a developer and you thought this meant that you were going to get the computer you wanted um Sorry. You are right to be disappointed because yeah. they don't think that. And it really stinks to be told, you know, we don't, we're not going to fulfill your desire with a product. We think that we've got it covered in other places and we're, we're just not going to go there. Could it be a mistake on Apple's part? Sure, it could be. Um, I would argue that those people have already not been served by Apple for a very long time, <laughs> catered to by Apple for a very long time. And even longer if you consider that back when the Mac Pro was. people like my friend Dan Frakes um, were writing articles about how they needed to make a cheaper tower computer, right? Like this is, this argument continues and and continues and Apple is always reluctant to do it. So, you know, is it the right move? I mean, maybe not. Uh, We'll see. But I I do think that, uh, that it over, it's such a small market that I think Apple is not risking a lot there. I, I mean, like, let's be honest. Apple screwing up the laptops is a way bigger issue, right? The pro laptops and the keyboards and people really being angry about the USB-C on the laptops and the touch bar and the escape key and all those things. Much bigger issue in terms of Apple's business. They sell way more of those. They are way more likely to be the tool of choice for developers. Like, that is a huge issue. If Apple screws up the pro desktop, what happens? They lose some They lose some really high-end customers, which they obviously have decided that they don't want to. And they, they symbolically make it seem like the Mac is not a priority. Um, but, you know, if, if screwing up the Mac desktop was fatal for apple apple would be dead now because they they did screw it up so and this is the this is the fix and maybe this fix isn't great but again you know so so i you know we can we can we can over talk this but you know seriously um i understand why people are upset about it uh and it does matter especially symbolically but in terms of the grand scheme of things let's not lose track of the fact that uh the most important Mac thing to happen in the last month and the most important pro thing to happen in the last month was the 16-inch MacBook Pro by a mile. Should we talk about Apple podcasts? Are these podcasts by Apple? Not yet. Or from Apple? Maybe. Or for Apple? (laughs) Because Apple podcasts are now available on the Amazon Echo. Yes, you can say, hey, lady, in a canister play the latest episode of this podcast or Mm -hmm. continue playing this podcast and it will um 
and it will sync too. So if you're if you're listening on the lady in the canister, and then you pause it, and then you go to the podcast app on your iPhone, it should have the play position synced. So it's using mm-hmm. iCloud, using I, Apple servers to sync that data, which is a key thing, right? Because it's one thing to say, pick a random arbitrary episode of a podcast and play it. And it's another thing to have it integrate with the database that they've got based on your uh, devices that are using Apple Podcasts. So it's currently available in the US only. This is a thing with Amazon. They they update their products internationally very, very slowly. If you're to, you know, you can all do this with Apple Music. It took months, months for them to have the Apple Music support in the UK and Europe and elsewhere. Um doesn't bother me because I don't use Apple Podcasts, but it's just a thing. So the way that it knows your player position is because you sign in with your Apple ID inside of the app, the Amazon Echo app. It syncs all of your shows and playback position. This is, of course, the first non-Apple device to get this kind of integration. There is no other Apple Podcast client for anything other than Apple-made products. So this wasn't the case with music because there was a music app for Android before uh, it rolled out to the Amazon Echo. So holding off the obvious, which we've been speaking about for a little bit, which we'll get to, why have they done this? Like, It's easier to understand why Apple's paid services are com- on competing hardware, right? Why Apple TV is on television sets made by Samsung and LG, etc. It makes more sense for Apple Music to be on products that play music like the Amazon Echo stuff. Apple Podcasts is a client for an open platform of which Apple owns nothing, right, except a directory. What is the benefit of doing this? Well, I mean, the benefit, the big benefit is just Apple services being available everywhere. Um, This is the, so Apple wants you in its ecosystem and it wants you in its podcast ecosystem, partially because it doesn't want to, you know, it doesn't want to give that up to Spotify, let's say. And it's so much more convenient if, as I said a moment ago, <laughs> your when you say play the next episode of this thing, it knows what podcast that is and what episode you listen to. It it if you resume an episode, it knows where it was. Like that's such a better thing that Honestly, it goes from being, I'm never going to listen to a podcast on this speaker in my kitchen to, oh, I can listen to podcasts. Like It's, it's literally a, uh, a moment where you're converting from not using it to using it because uh, now you're, you know, you're not doing, because I've done that where it's like, oh, play this podcast. And then I go back later and I'm like, now I need to manually sync to it because there's no conversation between these things. So I think... It's just, you know, Apple wanting to have its ecosystems be expanded further and further and then realizing that um, that people are going to use stuff like other TVs and, and Amazon Echoes and things like that. And what they really want is to keep you in Apple Podcasts. Um, so number one reason is uh, fight against Spotify. Uh, you want to be the default, um, not Spotify. You don't want people being like, oh, well, this will work. This works with Spotify, but it doesn't work with Apple. I'm just going to use Spotify. That's easier. And they're an important competitor here. Um, uh, right. And it's worth asking the larger question, which is, we've talked about it before is, does Apple have designs here? Like, are they going to be preparing? Yeah. Cause they, they could be preparing for, uh, things that are exclusive to Apple podcasts, but it could just be, again, I think you could explain it away largely the same way by saying Apple wants to not have other people 
hot, taking the podcast ecosystem and putting it inside their own proprietary thing. Like, I, I think that that can be true too. Like, I I do believe that it's possible that Apple will do some Apple podcasts only podcasts. I think it's more likely that Apple will do podcasts and they'll just be podcasts and they'll be in the podcast app and that Apple will say, we believe in an open, open ecosystem. And that's why we're the leading podcast player. That's an open ecosystem. I think that could be true just as easily as Apple saying, aha, we just spent a lot of money on a podcast. You could only get if you use our app, but it could be that. It, yeah, it'd be interesting. Like maybe it's potentially they're doing it the other way around that they have their other services, right? Where they get the, the, the platform, the free thing available before they then switch over to that we're now offering this exclusive thing, this paid thing. But all signs are continuing to point towards Apple making some kind of move in this area, whether it is mm-hmm. some kind of paid podcast service or just original content. We've spoken about it over the last few months of like first there being rumors, now Apple's making hires. Um, this could be a big part of that and having their podcasts available on other platforms is or their podcast app available on other platforms is important if this is a route that they want to continue pursuing right they're laying the groundwork um for something in the same way that they i think got kind of a little late to the game but they got there in time for the apple tv plus launch where they made those deals about a year ago now we heard about those deals with the TV manufacturers and the TV box manufacturers to get their their stuff. And remember, there, you know, there was a serious debate a year ago, maybe two years ago, about if Apple would ever let you watch movie, re- movie rentals or TV shows you purchased or their new streaming service on anything that was not Apple hardware. And the answer was, you absolutely can. Like, it's everywhere. I bought an Amazon Fire... 4k stick the other week for 25 bucks and plugged it into my my uh, 4k tv uh that's in another room and uh and logged into apple tv and now it's all there right like it was that simple and i didn't need to buy an apple tv to do it so this is like that and maybe you know maybe this is laying the groundwork for something but it's doing it it seems like they may be doing it a little bit further in advance, which is a good thing. And and like I said, their user benefits regardless of what their future strategy is, yep. because it means you can use this. And and as people who know Marco Arment, who does Overcast, right? Like this has been something that he's wrestled with for a while, which is like, do I want to do this or not? Because it's there's a lot of effort that goes into it. But you know, this is the benefit of it is that now Apple's podcast app has a feature uh, that's a leg up on him, right? That that he can't do this right now. And so that'll be a question for him. Like, do do, do does it matter? Because it's like a checkbox on the side. And I think he would say that so few of his users would use something like this that maybe it's not worth it. And we have to keep in mind, Overcast is a single person. Like, like Pocket Cast has a whole team, and and Castro now got sold and has a whole team, and obviously Apple has a whole team, and Overcast is one guy. <laughs> you know him. It's Marco, and so he has to pick and choose. Uh. And and he can't be like, oh, well, Apple's got it, so I got to do it as a response. Because it's like, what does he give up if he doesn't go that direction? But, you know, it is a, it is a challenge because this is a legitimate feature. If you are in the Echo uh, ecosystem, the ecosystem, and you love using this uh, and you want to listen to podcasts and have been frustrated about it, like, you'll it's a good reason to switch to an app that syncs 
so that you can you know move around and i'm an overcast user and so i i don't use this feature and if i really wanted to use my echo speakers for podcasts i would you know seriously consider switching because of it so it's something that's uh that's interesting too it's so but but my point is it's got a user benefit it's not just aha this is part of our strategy to be everywhere because we've got grand plans it's also you know this keeps people in our ecosystem because it helps them you know listen to podcasts in more places this episode is also brought to you by Pingdom. The holiday shopping season is upon us. I've still got some great deals to look out for. We have uh, Black, no, Black Friday. We have Boxing Day. We have in in the UK, which is the day after Christmas. That's when there's always a lot of sales. So I'll be I'll be perusing. Uh, when I'm shopping online, there's a little worse than a shopping cart failure or the website to suddenly be unavailable. This is if you ever sell stuff online. This might be why you want Pingdom. Pingdom will let you know the moment that your website goes down in whatever way is best for you. And you can use transaction monitoring to get alerted when cart checkout forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. You can customize how you're alerted, who is alerted, depending on the severity of the outage to make sure that the right person can get on to the problem. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get an amazing 30% of your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. Jason, should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to rule out today's episode? It's a good idea. Good idea. Chad asks, have most apps that you use been updated to take advantage of the 11-inch iPad Pro's different aspects ratio? So I don't, you don't use an 11-inch. Right? Okay, I wanted to check that. But yeah, this is a question for me. I'll put it in there because I know I do use quite frequently an 11-inch uh, iPad Pro, especially when traveling. And I would say of all of the apps that I use now, I could not find one that hadn't been updated. I'm sure that there is an issue, but I think there was a cutoff date where all iPad apps had to be updated. Like Apple will do this every now and then, right? Like you kind of like to get through submission, you have to adopt certain technologies. I believe they did this for the iPad Pro aspect ratio, Um, but all of the apps that I use have been updated to take the full advantage of that screen now just to stop the, the black bars. So if you're considering whether to buy this iPad because of that reason, I would say not to worry about it. Because um, I don't, can't think of any of my uh, 12.9-inch iPad Pro, because that was also a thing. It was less no, it's noticeable. Been, it's been a while. It's been yeah. a long time. Uh, Noah has a question for me. What has Mike been doing with his custom-built gaming PC? So I built a gaming PC, I don't know, a year or two ago now. Um, and I do what you would assume. I play games on it. Uh, it. It is something that I use for some PC games. Um, I don't have an Xbox, so I can play a lot of Windows or Xbox games on the PC because that's like a thing that you can do. Uh, I have a uh, Oculus VR system, and there, and there are games that I will play every now and then. I'm looking forward to the Half-Life uh, Alex VR game which i think is going to come out next year uh and also any video streaming game streaming that kind of stuff that i do i use the pc for it because it's way easier to do uh than i've found it to be on a mac and that was one of the reasons that i did it as well so i have a rig for that kind of stuff too so it's very useful for that Uh, adam asks if podcasts keep going behind paywalls so referring to the spotify thing that we spoke about last week could third-party apps add some sort of login feature to allow access to services like Spotify for podcasts? Now, I heard from somebody, by the way, that the Spotify exclusive podcasts aren't for premium. 
that you can listen to them without Spotify Premium, so you can listen yep. to them for free. But just you have to use Spotify, though. Right. So they're not they're not behind a paywall. They're just behind locked, a wall. locked into an ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. They're locked into an an app or into an ecosystem. So it's not quite the same. Which is probably what Apple would do too. I think. Yeah. If if right, I I agree. We talked about a. a I don't know, a few months ago about all the different options that Apple had. And I think that's the most likely. Um, maybe, well, I don't know. I think maybe the most likely is that they just do podcasts and they say we love it open. <laughs> but I think um, it's also likely that they would not say, we're going to create a service or this is only for these subscribers and just say, it's only in the app. It's only in the podcast app. That's the only place. But um, for this, I mean, they're... they're are login features for apps for paywalls. They there there are lots of them. Authenticated um, feeds is one of them, right? Where you just yeah, so a, you can you can have a username and a password, and it's using authentication on the web server end. And um, many, not all, but many podcast apps support that. So you can put in a username and a password and get the feed. And then there are. Um, other approaches like what I think Patreon does, which they give you a hashed URL, which is basically it's a URL with a bunch of uh, unreadable characters in yep. it yep. that is generated per user. So it's just for you. And um, it has no username and password. So if you gave it to a friend, they could listen too, but they're listening to your feed. And if you stop paying, it stops working. Um, and, and that's what I think the Patreon approach is. Um, and then there's security through obscurity, which is what Relay does and what the Incomparable does and what Six Colors does, which is you have to log into a page and get a URL and just put that in. And, that, and that's it, too, which is not that different from what Patreon does, but it's not tied to the user and it doesn't get shut off when the user isn't paying anymore. So there are a bunch of ways out there to do this. I wish there was a, a, a better way that everybody supported and everybody agreed on. And uh, maybe we'll get there someday. But I, I, my guess is that we won't because most of the organizations that want to do this want you to use their app. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't like that. Uh, and I, I won't support that. But um, there are other ways. Because, like, that's the thing. Even if there was a new standard created, Spotify is not going to sign up for it. Yeah, they that, don't that's care a, about exactly you being right. a Spotify customer. They want you using the Spotify app. App. They want you to be a customer in their application, not just a person listening to the podcast that they are creating. Right. And a lot of those, the hash URLs, the individual um, customized URLs won't work in certain apps like, I think, like Spotify, because Spotify views podcasts as having a canonical feed that is for everyone. It's very centralized. And um, that's not how those work. Those work on you've got a podcast app and you put it in and it's just for you and it doesn't sync anywhere and it's it's just your thing and 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 some apps don't like that at all but you know i'm definitely looking into that for mine um i'm doing the obscurity thing right now but i'm trying to work in the background on coming up with uh you know using a plugin that does what the patreon thing does which is just you know every every individual subscriber gets their own custom feed url and as long as they're a subscriber it works yeah because there are it's not just about um like Privacy, piracy is a thing. It's also less work for you or for us because changing the feed every couple of years or whatever to to kind of clear out people that aren't paying anymore is overhead and it's complicated yeah. and it's it, a pain. Yeah, it's a pain. It's a, it's a pain all, for the users too. 
Also, when I changed the last time for uh, Incomparable, or it was actually the first time I changed for Incomparable, I left it for the first couple of years we were doing it. What we discovered is that there were a lot of people who signed up, got their feeds, put them in, and were very happy and didn't realize that their card, you know, didn't renew or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And they and, and contacted me and when the feed changed because I put an item in the feed that said, "Hey everybody, you're you're getting this because your feed changed. You need to go log in." And then they'd log in and they wouldn't be a member. And then they'd sign up and they'd email me and they'd say, "I'm so sorry. I I, I thought I was was a member all this time, right?" So if you have a feed that that goes dormant when your subscription expires, it also is a reminder. It's a nudge to people who want to subscribe. That something went wrong, and that's oh, this that's is the good. Thing, though, like, is it a reminder? Like, does anything happen? Does the feature stop working? Because if the feature just like with, well, that's, with these Patreon things, the feature stops working, you may never know. Then you may never know. That's true. I always put when I when I change a feed. See, there's a feature we can add this to our feature list when yeah. we design this uh, for ourselves and build oh, yeah. it ourselves, which is uh-huh. what we're not going to do. But uh, is you want to have a if a if a feed gets deactivated you want a deactivated item to yep. appear as the as the most recent item in the feed that says this feed just got deactivated to reactivate it you need to resubscribe but i don't yep. think they do that that's what we like when we changed i uh i think a couple of years ago we changed the relay fm url and we put a thing like if you're hearing this yeah. you need to go and get a new feed uh we're going to email it to you if you don't get an email you need to pay again right it's like because yeah. it means you weren't paying exactly so, so in short no this won't happen because it makes no sense for Spotify's business plan to allow for this because they want people right. in the Spotify app. That's so we're going to use this. This is what we're going to get is we, what we've got, which mm-hmm. is either HTTP authentication for feeds or uh, hashed custom feeds or security through obscurity. And those are the ways that it's going to work. And I, I will say also, uh, as a podcaster, um, there need to be better tools for this. And I, I did find there's a, a company that I'm actually talking to this week that that uh, is building like a membership platform for a podcast. The problem being that, you know, we already have our platform, but I wish this, my point is, I wish this technology was better because it would be great if I could just pay some amount to some service and have like, uh, uses the membership API for memberful and it generates these feeds and, uh, or generates HTTP authentication or stuff like that. But as it is, basically most of this stuff is just being built by the companies that are doing it. They're building it themselves. It's very much like the early days of the web where it's just not, there's just not enough critical mass here for people to develop a system. So we use what we got. Well, you know, I guess if we're going into the weeds on this one now, which we most definitely are. Oh yeah, we're in the weeds now. We're we're below the weeds. We're in the the, the swamp beneath the weeds. I Mike, I get concerned about stacking all these companies together because yes, because then then if one of them breaks, they all it break. All but then then again, if you have one company that does it all and they break, then it all breaks too. But exactly. yes, I I agree with you. That is uh. You know, but then you can build it yourself, but that can be very expensive, and mm-hmm. and then you're reinventing the wheel. But sometimes that's the way to do it too. Yeah, because where we yeah, are right now, where a lot of the people that do what we do are, and it was we're using a service called Memberful, which was bought by Patreon, right? Which is probably a better overall outcome for Memberful as it stands, because I mean, I don't know what Memberful's situation was, but they were seemed to be a small company, yeah, now owned by a much larger company. Um, but that much larger company is a venture capital backed company, which can who knows 
implode on themselves or, or get bought by somebody who doesn't care about what Mimbleful right. does. Yeah, well, or or to take it back to the Mac Pro conversation, they could decide that we're not their focus, right? Mm-hmm. And that all of their efforts go towards something else and they're like, you guys have to go, right? Like, we're not going to support your stuff anymore. And that could happen, right? We, we're like, we don't make enough money from you, so we're going to go over here. And uh, and yeah, that would be, that that I dread that, right? Because I, I get a, a significant portion of my income from my two membership sources. And if Memberful disappeared tomorrow, um, I would be, Real sad. There are other options out there, but I would be really sad. That would be uh, rough and disruptive for everyone. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a funny world out there. But anyway, this is one of those cases where I couldn't take something off the shelf even if I wanted to because it's just not. Memberful has made some strides here, but like it's just it's a complicated thing. And there's I think there's not enough yet, not enough podcasts wanting to do a kind of premium podcast feed uh, to have made it worth building those tools. I have some light-breaking news, Jason Snell. Okay. Breaking news. The iPad Pro does indeed drive the Pro Display XDR. Jonathan Morrison (sighs) at TLD Today. As a what, a 4K? I don't know because he's got a video that I'm not hearing, uh, but it works. Okay. That's weird. Don't do that. Federico, don't buy the monitor. (laughs) Don't do it. Who knows what's going to happen now over in Rome? Wow. So it does work. For Isn't some that wild values of of work, right? Yeah, I have a bunch more questions that may be answered by the time you're hearing this. Like what happens if you turn the iPad into portrait mode? Can you can you work with the monitor in portrait mode? Oh, huh. yeah, that's a good question. More questions well, to be answered. But it does, in fact, work. So, basically, the what it seems like is the Pro Display can be used as a 4 or 5K monitor. Yeah. But it will also go to 6K. Now, isn't that interesting? With HDR support. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, you can watch that Netflix movie in... 4K on your $6,000 monitor. Uh, I'm in. The, I'm just saying I'm in the market for a new monitor. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <from that>. <laughs> Darren says, final question today. I'm ready to lead the iPad-only lifestyle. Is Google Photos or iCloud Photos the best choice for backing up images? Is there a way with the iPad to also have some kind of physical local backup as well? No. <laughs> no. No. No, you gotta have a you gotta have a Mac uh to back up the files locally. Um if your iPad entirely iPad only, I'd say it doesn't really matter. Google Photos is good and it's free, but it doesn't you know, you have to keep it open and launch it occasionally because it doesn't necessarily always back up in the background, whereas iCloud will back up in the background entirely. Um I think iCloud is the right solution if you're willing to spend the money on it because it's the first party solution. The mm-hmm. platform vendor runs it and it they tweak it all to work well. If you don't want to spend the money, Google Photos is great because the pr- price can't be beat and it's a very good service. Um, but in terms of having a local physical backup, um, guess what? If you're leading the iPad only lifestyle, you're not going to have that. You're just not. You're, you're, you're not going to have that. 
You'd, uh, you'd be better off having a yeah. leading the iPad only lifestyle with an old Mac with a big hard drive attached to it hidden somewhere in your house with photos set to keep all on the drive. And then you've got your backup. But um, I, I think if it's strictly iPad only, you just have to give up on dreaming about having a local physical backup. You can turn on sync only to your iPad, but that, that's not a backup. That's just, it's a, I guess it's a physical backup on your iPad of what's in the cloud, but you need a really big iPad for that. You can also use, I mean, if you just want another place to do some backups, you could also use Dropbox. Like Dropbox has a camera uploader. Like you can do all of that there using the Yeah, but you're well. then you're uploading photos a second time to mm-hmm. a different cloud service out of your camera role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it's ideal. It's just like an, another yeah. thing you could do maybe if you want to. Well, I mean, to. if you're using iCloud photos, you can use Google Photos too, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh but you're going to you're going to use a lot of bandwidth to do that and it's not necessarily a complete backup. So, no. yeah. Yes, yeah, it's one of those things, but I really think that if you choose iCloud Photos and then maybe have another service that you periodically do some backing up to, then you're probably, I reckon you're good. Um, but I understand the hesitancy if you're used to doing a physical backup as well. All right, if you'd like to send in a question uh, for an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with a hashtag AskUpgrade. We may or may not be doing any over the next couple of weeks. Who knows? We have hmm. something special we're working on next week. And then the week after is the Upgradies. Don't forget to go to upgradies.vote to enter your nominations for the Upgradies of uh, this year. Is it sixth annual Upgradies? Is it 2019 or 2020? I think it's 2019, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm just checking. I always forget about how we date those, but we date them for the year the Upgradies are like honoring. Honoring. There you go. That's the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Thanks to Pingdom and FreshBooks and Direct Mail for their support. Go to sixcolors.com. Find Jason online. He is at Jasonell. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason. Bye, Mike.